Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. Have you ever felt stuck? Have you had dreams and desires that you just can't seem to make a reality? Well... I can tell you that I felt and feel like this. And when I read Dr. Nicola Perra's book, How to Do the Work, it made me realize the rather uncomfortable truth that all of the external reasons I was looking for to explain this stuck, stunted, stagnant feeling were coming from within me, not from outside of me. They weren't happening to me. I was, on some level, making them happen. And it's not as though I, or I'm sure any of you who may identify with this feeling, it's not like we're doing this consciously. On some level, we want to change, but when the hardwired patterns that are holding you back are your normal, how can you know or feel how to change them? Well, that's why I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Nicole, Dr. Nicole DePera, onto the podcast to dig a little deeper into these patterns of self-sabotage, how living on autopilot prevents us from being present and paying attention, and why our basic needs need to be of needing to be seen, heard, and to express ourselves are so important and so vital. We also discuss forgiveness, both forgiving ourselves and forgiving others, and the role acceptance plays in being able to do that and move forward and set good, healthy boundaries. Nicole digs into the empath and narcissist dynamic and how people-pleasing and finding yourself attracted to the same kind of people over and over again is evidence of a pattern that may be holding you back. Plus, we discuss how to shake off and move on from past experiences and why none of these things that you may have to work through makes you bad or wrong. 
As you'll hear in this episode, Nicole has so many incredible insights and we cover a lot of ground in our one hour conversation. So I hope you find our chat as enlightening as I did, even if it is quite a fast paced conversation. If you do enjoy Nicole's insights, then I encourage you do grab a copy of her book. The link will be in the show notes as it's a rich, easy to follow and helpful guide. I've bought so many books from her further reading list and made so many notes in the margin because I found something helpful on practically every single page. If you're feeling stuck, this may just be the conversation you need to hear today. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Nicola Perra onto The Emma Gunn Show. Welcome to The Emma Gunn Show, Dr. Nicola Perra. How are you? I am great, Emma. Thank you so much for having me. I honestly feel as though this is a conversation I've been wanting to have for a little while because I got your book. Um, listeners, I am brandishing it at the screen so that Nicole can see. Um, a little while ago. And I have to say, devoured it, devoured it. And I'm guessing, is that the feedback you get a lot from a lot of people? In terms of devouring of the book? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I get, it's so interesting. Um, I get feedback that it's devoured, it's revisited on multiple occasions. So for me, um, of course, you know, my intention with the book was to put it out there, to have it resonate with as many humans as possible, and also to have it be a living, breathing thing. Because what I do know about healing and the journey of it all, oftentimes we don't just read a book once, put it down and transform our life. So hearing that people, I think the second thing I hear most commonly is, oh, I've read it two, three, four times. I keep revisiting aspects of it. So for me, that really is emblematic of the journey of it. Oftentimes we do want to live with a book, live with the work. So for me, that fills my heart. My experience was definitely as I was reading bits of it, thinking I never want to forget this. I always want to know that now that I've read it, I want to know it forever. And I want it to be present and at the forefront of my mind so that I can live knowing that moving forward. Absolutely. And, and knowing, I think this, you're bringing up a very interesting conversation to begin with. Knowing, I think for a lot of us and doing are two completely different sides of a, a bridge, if you will. So what I often talk about is how do we build that bridge? How do we go from, for many of us knowing these concepts, whether or not you're meeting them for the first time and how to do the work, or maybe you've heard about some of these concepts written in other ways by other authors. Similarly, I would see this with my clients. We know things, many of us, how do we build that bridge into doing the new things, making new choices and really sustaining the change that I think so many of us are looking for. And I've obviously already poured a lot of love on the book, but if you don't mind, I want to take a, a teeny bit of a step back for those people who might be listening to this podcast and maybe haven't picked up the book, but maybe feeling a certain way that actually makes them a really good candidate to read this. And I wonder when you were writing it, we know that sometimes when you are putting together a piece of work like this, you drill down into the ideal person who you're trying to reach. If someone's listening to this and what might they be feeling? What might you be thinking if they told you, would you say, you know what, this book really is going to steer you in the right direction? So I'm going to shout out, I think the word that came up, the condition, if you will, that came up so frequently that actually inspired my journey, Emma, into holistic psychology. And that word is stuck. Um, back when I was a clinical psychologist, I had the very successful practice in Philadelphia. I was clocking hour upon hour with client upon client. And what I kept coming up against at this point, years into treatment with so many was that word stuck. I have so much, so back to what we were just talking about, I have so much insight, 
oh, I really understand how to solve this problem in a new way, Dr. Nicole, yet I come back next Tuesday and I have reports of that same old habit, the same old symptom, the same stuckness. So for me, that word stuck was actually a point of contention because not only was I seeing it in my clients as a professional who was aimed my job in a sense, right, was to help people feel better. And if I'm being honest, I wasn't doing a very good job at that. I also wasn't doing a very good job at that in my own life because I continued to feel stuck myself, no matter how much insight I had, no matter how many tools I had acquired. I mean, I had learned all the different ways of working with people, myself included. Of course, I self-administered. I tried to change. I tried to resolve the anxiety that for me was a lifetime, and yet I too was stuck. So for me, my journey into holistic psychology began by trying to first understand why are we so stuck? Why are so many people, those of us who even have access to help and helping professionals, why are so many of us still struggling to change? And then furthermore, feeling shameful about it, feeling unworthy of these changes in our own lives. So for me, that inspired me to explore the reasons why we become stuck. Of course, I've gained understanding into why that is. For us, it lives in our subconscious mind, created you know, from a lifetime of habits that we repeat time and time again. And for me, stuck now really embodies who this book is for. So anyone out there who's feeling stuck wherever you are on your journey, maybe you've had many attempts at changing. Maybe you've had well, many well-meaning people telling you all of the reasons and things that you have to change. Yet for all of the different reasons, you continue to struggle to create those changes. So this book is for you because not only does it explain why many of us are stuck, it also, in my opinion, at least gives us the roadmap of how to begin to become unstuck and actually create that change and maintain it, most importantly. Um, It really spoke to me and regular listeners will know. And because we haven't spoken before, I'll try and wrap this up in a really tight little nutshell for you. But I have battled with my weight my whole life, uh, yo-yo dieting. I'm sure you understand the cycle and have seen it many, many times. And I got to the age of 41 and just thought, I don't want to keep doing this. Do I really want to be doing this at 50? And the way that I was able to help myself was to actually forget everything that I knew and try something completely different, which brings us back to that idea of being unstuck. But it also reminds me about the patterns, the pattern I have been in previously that had just kept me going in a circle. Yes, absolutely. And you also are saying something that's incredibly important that we need to be aware of as well. When we go to try new things, when we go to do the unfamiliar thing to make the new choice, to maybe navigate your your weight or your eating habits or whatever it might be in a new way, we actually meet what I call resistance because that subconscious part of our mind that I'm always talking about where all the habits and patterns live, that if you're like most of us, you're on autopilot upwards of what, 90, 95% of your day, not really making choices about what you're doing. You're kind of just going along with what you're doing. Well, there's an important fact about this subconscious mind that we need to understand. It likes the familiarity of those patterns because they're predictable. It knows what comes next. Even if it's not ideal, even if it's the farthest thing from the consequence that we want, it's that which is predictable. And according to our subconscious who has one aim, one goal, that autopilot's goal is to keep us safe. It wants to sustain the living, our organism, sustain life, to live autopilot another day. So actually, when it meets a new choice, has an unfamiliar experience, it feels uncomfortable. And for some of us, that resistance lives in our mind where we get 
all of the million reasons why it's not going to work. We shouldn't do this. We're not good enough at it. Why bother? For some of us, it drops maybe a little more into our bodies where we just begin to feel a little different than we normally feel a little bit more uncomfortable. Maybe I become aware of some deeper emotions that I, that my autopilot had allowed me to be unaware of before I know it. If I pay too much attention to that resistance, I'm right back in that familiar rut. So we become stuck because most of us are locked in autopilot. And then furthermore, those of us who do make a choice to do something new before long, we meet that resistance. It becomes so uncomfortable that we're right back in those familiar habits and patterns because simply it's what we're used to. It's not because we're not worthy. It's our subconscious doing what it thinks it needs to do, keeping us safe. I think the thing that for me personally, that I was really taken with on my own experience was having this internal thought of, I just want to be better. I want to be healthier. I'd like to lose weight. And this stretched out into many aspects of my life. I want to be better at work. I want to be more social. And I didn't understand actually that the patterns that I had in place were were a form of self-sabotage. So actually no external factor was really affecting my life. It was all, the call was coming from inside the building. (laughs) Yeah. And that, that's the case for a lot of us. And, you know, I talk about childhood a lot and the reality of our childhood is there are many aspects of our environment that are outside of our control when we are children. However, as we become adults, we do, you know, give ourselves the opportunity if we choose to begin to make new choices. However, so many of us are dropped into that autopilot. So many of us, and again, there's reasons we can go back into all of the adaptations, right? All of the things that we've done as children, again, aimed at keeping us safe, that becomes a need in us. And before long, we're repeating that daily on autopilot and it becomes really difficult for us to then make a new choice to go forward in a new way. And again, we as adults have choice, but so many of us aren't living that choice. When we're in autopilot, we very much do feel reactive because all of this is happening outside of our awareness. And we do feel like in many senses of the word, the environment is happening to us and we don't have any control. All we do is feel reactive. So until we create that space where I can have an experience and actually make a new choice, we are going to very much feel disempowered. Is a little bit the, um, the stuck feeling is it a little bit like being the bird in the cage but the cage door is open so you're kind of you're still in there not flying anywhere but the path is there for you to take yeah which is the wildest experience because again as many of us evolve into adulthood in many ways our cages change our environments change we might even be in a different living situation than what we once were different relationships And really the cage, we can use the metaphor, right, is in our mind. It doesn't matter, right, objectively that our external reality is quite different because we've locked ourselves in that cage through that autopilot, through that lack of awareness of choice. It's quite confronting though, isn't it, to sit down and say, oh, I'm doing this. And actually the only way for me to go out of this place where I don't feel comfortable is to be even more uncomfortable and try something new and potentially fail. Oh my gosh. I mean, there's so many um, discomforts that happens when we become conscious um, to create change. And first, the level of the first level of it is seeing that we are playing some role and maybe the role is I'm dropped into autopilot and I'm not being conscious enough to make new choices. 
that's really confronting. That's me now feeling like responsible in a way that at first can feel very challenging. But the other side of that is, in my opinion, the, the empowerment. And then, of course, as we become more conscious to the onion analogy, I always like to revisit peeling back the layers, really looking at these old habits and patterns, maybe being aware of where they've come from, maybe even for some of us unearthing deep-rooted emotional pain that that autopilot has allowed us to stay safely distant from for so long. Talk about confrontation right now. We are peeling back all of this layering of discomfort, of difficulty. And again, for a lot of us, another great reason not to do it, to turn the other way and to continue to live in that safe, familiar distance from that pain. That safe, familiar distance. Does that though get you further away from your true self or your authentic self? And I've heard you talk about being dissociated. And I don't know if this is uh, technically the same thing because you're the psychologist, not me. But um, when I struggled with depression, one of the scariest things that happened to me was when I looked in the mirror and I didn't recognize my face. Yes. And that felt really like I still I still get a chill up my spine when I think about that moment because it was like seeing it for the first time. So in my head, the story I have now is I had dissociated. I didn't even recognize myself. Like the gap was so big and it was then the journey to kind of get closer to myself. Is that autopilot um, a step on that sort of path to get even further away from yourself? Absolutely. A lot of us, you know, in all of those conditioned behaviors, living in that autopilot that began at a moment in time where our self, our authentic self wasn't accepted, didn't feel accepted, didn't have maybe the support to be in its full expression. So what happened, and again, this was mostly created in childhood is we actually began to squash parts of ourself and whether or not you want to, right. We began to wear the mask, assume the roles, right. Squash feelings down because if I showed sadness and that didn't feel accepted in my family, then I stopped showing sadness before long. So before long, I become more and more distanced from that authentic core. And then those of us. So when I began the journey, when I discovered that this autopilot existed, when I decided to do what is my number one suggestion, because the foundation for change happens when we're conscious, when we're actually in a different part of our mind than that autopilot. So what I would do is I suggest we all do. I set an alarm on my phone for during my waking hours. I pick two random times. So say 11 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. I probably forgot I even set that alarm when those times came along. And when that alarm went off, I did a check-in with myself. I, I noted, okay, my alarm went off. Where, where's your attention, Nicole? Are you fully present in your body? Maybe sitting in the chair you're sitting in. Are you fully present to what's happening in front of you? Maybe I'm doing some work. Maybe I'm even having a conversation or is your attention somewhere else? And the more I did that check-in, Emma, the more I noticed I could have been doing something with someone else and I wasn't really present to it. I might not even have been able to keep track of the conversation. Maybe if I was watching television, I don't really know what's happening. Where was I? I call it my spaceship because for me, I couldn't tell you. Sometimes maybe I could say, oh yeah, I was you know, rehearsing the story of, I was rehearsing an argument that I had this morning, or maybe I was worrying about something that was happening tomorrow. For me, most of the time, I didn't know where I was. I just wasn't really fully present here. 
And that's what we call dissociation, that disconnection, that not being fully available and receptive to the present moment. So then in those moments, back to my conscious check-in, I gave myself the greatest gift. I began to tone a muscle, a muscle of choice around where I put my attention, because if we can learn how to turn our attention more fully into our bodies. How does this moment feel? I'm sitting in a comfy chair. I have a desk here. It's a little warm in this room. Or if I'm doing something externally, can I pay attention to maybe the dishes I'm washing, you know, smell the soap on my hands. The more here I am, the more I'm in my conscious mind. And that then allows us to be reconnected with our authentic self to actually tune into how does my body feel right now? What might my body need? How about emotionally? Do I have something going on that I could tend to or deal with? And then I gift myself with that choice I was talking about earlier. I don't just allow my autopilot to do what it does, either A, keeping me disconnected or B, doing the same thing it always does when I this thing happens to me. Now that's that space I was talking about. Now consciously, I can start to make choices that are more in alignment with those deeper, more authentic needs. I don't know if any listeners can relate to this and maybe you might relate to it too. But when you were talking about that and connecting with yourself, I was thinking about all of the times when I was a kid and at school and I was paying so much attention to the group dynamic so that I would be included that I wasn't, I don't think I gave even one thought to what I was feeling or thinking. I was more aware of what the, I was trying to tune into the hive mind rather than, than my own. Yes. And, and that's adaptive to, to, to a large extent, because something I always talk about is the evolution of humanity. And you'll often hear me say that we are social creatures because as human infants, we are, I think maybe the only mammal that we can't survive on our own. We need to be bonded to another human who cares enough about us to sustain our life. So humans, people, groups, definitely when we become peer age and you go to school and then your peer groups become most important, that is important to our survival. Fitting in really for a lot of us, again, in infancy was life or death. And for those of us that didn't have the space to fully feel accepted in our self-expression, usually in our homes where it originates, we become what is called hypervigilant. We're constantly looking outside of ourselves to make sure that we're fitting in so that we can continue to feel safe and secure in those relationships that we need most. And first, of course, it begins in our core family environments, whatever they look like for each of us. And then it extends to our peer groups and then our romantic relationships. And I am very much like you. I never factored myself into any experience or relationship. And I tell this story often until I was into my twenties and I had a very pivotal moment conversation with a very good friend at the time when I was stressed because I had felt that everyone's needs around me were battling. Um, it was my wife at the time and my family at the time, and they had both you know, opposing things that they needed from me in that moment. So I, of course, was doing what I did often at that time, complaining, looking for advice, help me friend, tell me what to do. So I went through all of the things that everyone else needs and she listened very kindly. And then when I was complete and waiting for her to tell me what to do, she looked at me and said, well, okay, Nicole, what, what do you want to do? <laughs> you just told me what everyone else in your life wants you to do. What do you want to do You know, at this upcoming date or whatever it was we were talking about? And Emma, I had no answer. Mm-hmm. I didn't even realize that I could have a, a want in that moment because in a very similar way, right? Whether you're looking around at your peer group to fit in 
or you're doing as I'm doing, scanning, trying to meet everyone else's needs, keep them happy. What you and I were both doing in the process is not looking at ourselves. Now, I couldn't answer that question just to complete that story at that time. I had no idea. It took me a lot of time to condition myself out of that practice of always immediately going to someone else and what they might need to first create the space to even begin to ask myself. And then again, I didn't still didn't have an answer when I would say, okay, Nicole, what do you need in this situation? What do you want in this situation? What happens next for you? And then began the journey of exploring that authentic self because we don't get that answer overnight. And that's why I share this. A, a lot of us don't know what we want because we haven't practiced asking ourselves And then once we create the space to ask ourselves what we want outside of what the world around us needs us to do, it's hard. We have to find our way into those authentic wants, needs, and desires. Because as soon as you say that, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about the first time I said no, or the first time I said, actually, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that. And it, that wasn't a complete sentence because I was waiting for the telling off. (laughs) I was waiting to be rejected, I guess. And so that's a big part of the practice as well, right? Absolutely. So once you've carved out what you want, then you have to express that, maybe put up the boundary, not be as available, tell the person, no, I call that the feel bads. Because for me, that was extremely guilt inducing, whether or not the person even had that expectation of me, sometimes my feel bads lived in my mind. I would just imagine how devastating this would be for them to hear that I can't do this thing and almost convince myself out of that no before I even delivered it. Now, Mm. of course, once I delivered the no, that was very difficult. Oftentimes they were fine. They accepted it. It wasn't as bad as I imagined it to be. Of course, sometimes there was, you know, a fallout, um, but carving out that no, expressing our needs. Once we've come to the realization that we have to do it back to this idea of unfamiliar doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable and doesn't mean that oftentimes or sometimes there won't be a reaction from the other person because what's happened in most of our relationships by the time many of us are wanting to create change we've established a dynamic we've met that expectation that we're available at all hours of the night for years upon years so in the beginning it is a bit surprising when we begin to say no Mm. It's like an Instagram filter is the way I've sort of thought about it. And the Instagram filter I used to put on my life was actually quite gray and horrible and made things look a bit warped and not very appealing because there was a lot of negativity in that filter. And actually that filter was something I created. No one else was seeing the world through that. And I think that was a thing that I struggled with for a long time. And I know when listeners write in, it's a similar thing of I think the world is like this, but then understanding your thoughts aren't real. Don't believe everything that you think. Someone else might not see it the same way. Here's, I'm going to extend this even further and and challenge a lot of listeners out there. We're all filtering the world, right? This idea of this objective reality that we can all agree upon is an endless search even to humans. And I think a lot of us, those of us who have siblings, maybe live this experience, similar environments, maybe even had a similar interaction with mom and dad. Yet, if you hear the story retold, completely different retelling, completely different events, almost might even sound like a different experience entirely. And again, that's just one example of many. The reality is we're all walking around with filters on the world right? So the goal becomes a becoming aware that that is the case. 
we're all filtering the world typically through our past experiences. And then again, creating that space where I give myself choice. I may choose that that narrative does apply here. I may want it to apply here, or I may make the choice to reframe it or to give myself again, a new option though. The reality is, and I know it is challenging for a lot of us is that we are all subjective. We're all carrying. And this is one of the major ways we keep ourselves stuck because the filters we're applying are those past filters. So we continue to see and feel the same exact ways and then behave the same ways on the back of it. When it comes to past experiences, how, how far can you dig into, or this, this thing that happened to me in childhood is why I'm like this now. How deep do you have to excavate in order for it to be useful before you kind of go a little bit too deep and draw blood? You don't actually have to go back at all. And I share this. So a byproduct of my spaceship, because I'd been going on a spaceship probably since I was very little, dissociating, disconnecting from the environment around me, is I actually retained very few memories. And I started to become aware of this in high school, where friends would tell me things about their past. I didn't really have that many stories from childhood. And then flash forward into events with my friends that I would forget. And the reason being, if we're not fully present in childhood, say, when we go back to access that memory, it never was formed and really stored. And the reason why I share this is I don't have memories of childhood. There is, it's very difficult for me to go back, play the movie and see the things that happened. And then when I talk about this, I do get the question you've just asked me often, which is, well, A, can you heal? And B, how do you heal? Do I have to go and revisit and know the details of what happened? So again, my answer is you don't have to, because chances are, if you watch yourself and your autopilot operating in the world, and or if you watch yourself in terms of your relationships, because our earliest relationships become the, the models that we repeat into adulthood. So you don't have to remember how it was with mom or dad or your sister or your brother in childhood. For most of us, we just have to look at how are we navigating? What are the dynamics in our relationships now? What are my habits and patterns that I'm living now? Again, understanding that most of them were formed in childhood. So for me, I was able to see more or less and piece together things that happen without having to know the details because I was still living those same habits and patterns in my adulthood as most of us are. So And I say this because I know sometimes it can feel really scary. It can feel really daunting. And many of us don't want to unearth those horrible things that happened. And again, we don't have to, we can start right now with what we're carrying with us. And again, begin to create change there. And when, when are you able to move forward from it? And I say this because one of the things I've observed in the way that we have opened up the discussion around mental health, for example, which I think is incredibly helpful. But one of the elements of this conversation is people sometimes choosing to be defined, perhaps choosing is too dramatic a word, but being defined by a diagnosis like I'm anxious or I'm depressed. And it's not saying this is what I'm going through. It's almost a declaration so that the world treats them differently. So it's the opposite of the work that you talk about. It's like, I'm not going to do the work. I'm telling you my static state. So the world has to do the work so that I feel more comfortable. I think anytime we identify with an identity, um, whether it's a diagnosis, inclusion in a group or religious affiliation, whatever it is, there can be value. So let me be clear. 
right? There can be that point of connection with another who shares that similar belief or value or whatever it is the system is operating in. So that's absolutely part of what we feel connected to. When we're talking about diagnoses and symptoms, for some of us, there can be incredible relief knowing that what I'm struggling with has a name. However, we become limited in my opinion, or we limit ourselves when we say I am, and then insert whatever identity it is. When we make it fully who we are, probably listeners have heard this said in different ways. I am those two words are so incredibly powerful. And again, when you allow yourself to become something, whether it's a diagnosis, whether it's the group affiliation, you're leaving yourself very limited. And I actually just did a teaching in the self healer circle our virtual um, global membership. And we talked about identities. And the thing with identities is so few of us fit all of the checked boxes in that identity. So what we're actually doing when we assume I am depressed, we're not giving ourselves the opportunity to have a moment outside of that depression. We almost then squash it, allowing ourselves only to see ourselves operating then in this very inclusive box. And again, that, in my opinion, can be very limiting. So we can feel a part of an identity. We can feel the relief of having the language for what we're struggling with, or again, language to connect with another, but we need to be really careful if any of those things are limiting our ability to be in more full expression or to have the experience or the feeling that might land outside of the box every now and again. Yeah. And listeners, uh, I'll obviously put the link to what, what was it? The self-healer circle. The, self, the self-healer circle is our virtual membership. Yes. I'll put a, a link to that into the show notes because I'm sure people are thinking, oh, I would quite like to uh, get involved in that. Um, one of the things that, that really stood out for me in the book and other things of yours that I've seen is this, the need to be seen, to be heard and to be able to express oneself. And I think, is that a good place if you're coming from that place of autopilot? Is that almost like a good checklist of, did I feel seen today? Did I feel heard today? Did I express myself today? Are those quite basic things that we should acknowledge and see if we're actually doing and achieving? I think what's important with being seen, heard, self-expressed is understanding that we're all driven to do that. And the reason why I say that is, Emma, chances are most listeners aren't feeling that way day in and day out because back in childhood, when we didn't feel seen, heard, when we didn't feel safe enough or accepted and seen in our full self-expression, we actually began to adapt just like we were talking about. We created that mask. We began to play a role, squash our feelings, disconnect from that authentic self-expression, and again, create that autopilot that then will repeat time and time and time again. So most of us actually into adulthood don't actually have that need met. And what we're living is a constant, right? Kind of wheel spinning hamster wheel of attempts to get that need met. So yes, the goal of healing, right? Is to create that space. And even if we're not getting that external validation, someone actually seeing and hearing me, seeing and hearing yourself, I talk a lot about how healing the first relationship most of us need to heal in adulthood is the one with ourself, is learning how to be authentically connected to our physical, emotional, and spiritualness essence, right? To know what it is that we want to then express to the world before then, of course, we can gift that to the world. And then, of course, having the opportunity to see that reflected back, to be seen, to be heard, right? So 
that's a great checkpoint though. When most of us check in, chances are we're not feeling that way. And what we need to be aware of is, okay, right. How, what am I, what am I doing? What is the attempt to get that need met? How is that serving me? And when we, the answer usually isn't not very well. Now we can learn how to reconnect with that space and first gift ourselves with seeing, hearing, and loving our own self-expression. And then of course, finding the safe relationships where we can begin to practice that in, in the dyad or in the dynamic itself. What role does, or where does acceptance come on the journey? Mm-hmm. Because that for me, I think when I realized I didn't want to change anything, I was just happy to accept it and move. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Vaughn. That was a real game changer for me. And listeners have written in and said similar things based on other conversations I've had. What role does, what space does acceptance play in the healing journey? I think acceptance, um, you know, after we become consciously aware that that is such a pivotal step of it. And, you know, for some of us, so many of us are accepting, you know, the habits and patterns that are continuing to create our life in accepting that we might be accepting events that have happened to us, pain that has been caused us. And oftentimes it's through accepting that that is what was so. Maybe we can't, or we can't go back in time and change it. However, we can gift ourselves with the opportunity to create change now. So sometimes it's the acceptance piece that allows us to take that pivot from retelling the past, you know, wishing it could be different, feeling all the different kinds of ways we do about the very real pain that we still feel from that past and actually making that pivot saying, okay, that happened. This continues to keep me stuck in this direction for these reasons. And now I can take that turn and look forward into a future that can be different. And a lot of us need to practice and acceptance is an action. And I say this, we just recorded a podcast on the self-healer soundboard, our podcast about forgiveness. And the point I made about forgiveness, I'll make about acceptance right here, which is that it is a practice. And I say this because, and I'll be the first to admit, I know I've done this. We wait for forgiveness to happen to us. We wait for acceptance to happen to us. And again, if you are someone who struggles to accept retelling the past, reliving in it, it has to now be an action you take. And it could go back to what we were talking about with that most powerful choice around attention. When you do see your subconscious offering that story about maybe this morning, maybe 10 years ago, don't expect your subconscious to do differently if you're used to being stuck in something you can't accept. However, the shift, the pivot now that I was just talking about is using that tool, making the choice, saying, I don't have to be stuck in this story right now. What's happening right now? Oh, I have a new moment. I can put my attention consciously here. So again, acceptance is an action. It's a process, another aspect of healing that a lot of us, I think, love to hate. It doesn't happen overnight, though for a lot of us, that becomes the gift that allows us to even reorientate toward looking to a future. It's uh, actually the next word on my list is forgiveness, because I wanted to ask you about forgiving yourself 
because if you realize that you've been your own saboteur um mm-hmm. you might want to have a word with yourself and sort of quietly forgive yourself but also forgiving others for whether it was real or imagined wrongs that have happened to you and oftentimes we come by the process of forgiving someone else when we've done the work to let ourselves off the hook and to create that forgiveness in ourselves and when we can see and i think this is the the greatest pathway toward forgiveness the journey of it of course is when we can understand that it is that past it is that autopilot to use words now you and i have been revisiting it not isn't who we really are it isn't what we really want i can't tell you all of the occasions where i've said and done many things that i don't really mean and I, of course in the moment i feel like i mean it once my emotions come down i don't really mean those things when we can see the effects of our past and how it colors and and sometimes the things i'm saying aren't nice they're not coming from my heart space however if i can understand that it was coming from past pain it was a reaction to maybe me feeling threatened or insecure in that moment now i have the possibility of giving myself that compassionate forgiveness understanding that it's not who i really am and then again i can be more connected to who i really am in the future when we do that for ourselves often the byproduct becomes you can see everyone in the world around us and all of their pain that they're carrying some of us even extend that to our caregivers right the people who raised us with their own limits their own conditioning that of course is going to affect us and sometimes these people created a lot of harm in our life that we continue to carry and again if we can see ourselves and the effect of our past sometimes we can gift that to even our caregivers understanding that they too were raised by a human with their own conditioning and their own limits and were possibly reacting or acting in ways that weren't really what they meant either. One of the reasons I wanted to actually unpick forgiveness a little bit with you is because um somebody apologized to me uh, a little while ago after 10 years saying I know we haven't spoken for 10 years but I want to apologize. And um they said I hope we I hope you can forgive and forget. And I realized I was probably doing neither. I had just accepted the situation. <laughs> so I'd taken the sting out of it, but I hadn't forgotten it. And I also hadn't forgiven them. And I didn't know if that was a bad thing on my journey to a higher state. Well, you're, when you talk about forgetting, right, a lot of times we do have to understand that we're getting in our own way. Right? If we're carrying a hurt, a lot of us are carrying it in our minds. We're rehashing it. Even if it's the hurt that happened 10 minutes ago, I didn't like what my partner said. A lot of us carry that in our minds. That's what I'm saying. It's an action. We have to check out of, of that way of thinking. Um, so forgetting right, is an action. We have to let it go in our own minds. And to be clear, when we're talking about forgiving, forgetting what happens next, even if we've released, even if we've accepted even if we've entered into the present, right? Tuned, like shifted our attention. We're not retelling those old stories anymore. That person comes back. Doesn't mean that we have to continue into a future. I think sometimes we get confused that forgiveness means, oh, never happened right back into the dynamic, the exact same way it was. Chances are when a wound has happened, a dynamic might have to change. We might have to put that boundary up that you and I were talking about earlier. We might have to change the relationship in some way and or you may even have to end the relationship. It doesn't mean that we didn't forgive that person. It means that we are creating the change that we need in that relationship. Because the thing about forgiveness that I want to end on is it's for us. 
right? It's not a matter of letting that person right back into where they were. We might come to the awareness that that doesn't work for us. I can forgive you and still create a new relationship dynamic with you that also now works for me. Mm. You mentioned boundaries there, which I thought was a really nice segue actually, because further to our conversation slightly earlier about um, setting boundaries, if you've spent your life letting other people set your boundaries for you, how do you even begin to put a boundary in place? Is it just as simple as no is a complete sentence, as James Wonder <laughs> would say? Well, first, it's understanding that boundaries are a thing and can exist. And I say this because I don't know if I've ever, if I had ever in school or in my relationships, heard or learned of outside of physical boundaries, right? Where there's certain touches that feel safe or not safe. Most of us have gotten that learning somewhere along the way, though. There's a lot of boundaries that we that are never talked about. And especially if you come from, like we're saying, a person who has had none, we don't even know that limits or, or space between me and someone else can exist. And I am that person. The reason why when I was in my 20s, I had no idea was because part of it was I had not only was I not practiced in asking myself what I wanted, I had no separation between me and someone else. So creating a boundary or a limit where I end and you begin is a really big piece of the journey. And again, it looks different for each of us. Some of us, uh, some of us it is saying no to time requests, to emotional requests. Um, others, it's defining limits between our thoughts, our beliefs, our feelings. I share this because for a very long time, because feelings in my household traveled like wildfire, usually it was stress meaning when one person was stressed or had an issue going on in the household, everyone was stressed. And so for me, that gave me a sense of emotional closeness, right? With this idea that there are relationships where everyone shares feelings. Didn't matter that the stressful event didn't happen to me. Maybe it happened to my mom or my sister. They were having maybe health issues, which was part of my past. I felt the stress. So the whole family unit would become stressed. And the deeper teaching in that for me, or what I you know, internalized for me was that is closeness. And what I saw then in my adult relationships was that desire. It felt very uncomfortable if I was having an emotion that didn't match the emotions that people were having around me. I liked in a sense being caught in your stress or your anger or your sadness, because it made me feel connected and close to you. So for me, the greatest and still the most difficult boundary that I continue to work on is to give myself the opportunity to have different emotions. There's many different moments where, you know, I share a home with two partners and we are living a lot of the same experiences day in and day out. However, we don't have the same emotional reactions to it. So creating that space that I can be fine when they're not fine. And I'm gonna be really simplistic about this or I can be not fine when they're fine. That's a different type of boundary. And again, a lot of us, when we come through a home where there's shared emotional states for whatever reason, that can feel like a sense of closeness and we can struggle again to create that separation. Again, the reality of it is we're all different. Like you're we talking about, we have different lenses. Things mm -hmm. are going to affect us differently. And to allow ourselves to be authentic means sometimes to allow ourselves to have feelings that are at odds with others around us. Um, I can relate to a lot of what you just said. And also I can think about all of the rooms I've walked into over the years where I haven't seen people. I have felt the emotions and I've gone towards the bad ones. 
<laughs> like, and it's like, like a heat seeking emotional missile. I'm like, this seems to be like a hotbed of anger, stress and bitchiness. I will go towards it <laughs> and well, and see if I can fix it, see if I can, but also avoid being a target as well, I guess. Yes. Yes. For me, stress was my, my predominant one and how this it's in, so interesting. My, my family would tease me for a very long time that one of my most frequent phrases in childhood, and it kind of marries all these concepts together was I'm bored. <laughs> and when did I feel bored? When there wasn't stress happening, I translated that lack of cortisol, that lack of stimulation that happens with stress and activation to boredom. So I right would then seek out, this is right. So when I didn't have the cortisol flowing, throwing, flowing through me, that felt unfamiliar. So we're going to go all the way back to that beginning where the subconscious autopilot, I feel so uncomfortable that what I would notice, I would do one of two things. I would either stress myself out in my mind. This was a prime opportunity. Say I was even alone, right? I, I could sit there and remember the stressful thing that happened in the morning. And before you know it, that boredom's gone because now I'm worked up. And you know what? I might even take it a step further. If someone's around me or now we all have cell phones, I might tell them about it. I might revisit the thing that bothered me. And now before I know it, I'm activated. So the thing that felt unfamiliar, that lack of stress, we created it. So similar to you walking into a room, a lot of us have that emotion. I call it emotional addiction. What that simply means is the emotion that I'm so familiar with that other things begin to feel uncomfortable. Even if those other things are the logical emotions I want to feel, of course, who wants to really feel stressed? For me, the greatest empowerment was realizing those different ways that I was creating that stress. And if I'm honest, Emma, still attempt to. <laughs> it's still like, moments where I try. <laughs> it's like self-sabotage. You don't realize you're doing it, mm -hmm. but your baseline is actually heightened, a heightened level of stress. But to you, it feels like... Normal. How you wake up in the morning. Yeah. Normal, normal, normal. And the absence of it felt boring. Um, do you mind if we talk a little bit about uh, codependency? And I want to sort of leapfrog a little bit towards the empath narcissist dynamic, because this I find incredibly fascinating in the sense of, I think if you are somebody who maybe has an emotional addiction, you're quite good at uh, sensing emotions. You can find yourself in a dynamic that isn't just with every social group you're, you're in or the people that you work with. It can be a romantic relationship, a friendship where you somehow get latched onto somebody who has very, very high needs and is incredibly high maintenance. And that's quite a difficult dynamic, isn't it? It's quite, it's one that I've read a lot about online and I, uh, I find, just find it a fascinating dynamic and it seems like an easy one to get caught in. I'm going to talk globally on this in terms of what I call a trauma bond. So back to something I was sharing earlier, our earliest relationships become the roadmap for our future relationships. So the dynamics that we have, the things that we can express in the relationship, the boundaries we have, or we don't have. So when we're talking about codependency, we're talking usually about a lack of boundaries. So very similar to the way I was describing my childhood, you know, no emotional boundaries. We all share the same emotional states. We all became very hypervigilant, scanning each other to see how we're doing, worrying, even asking, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Right? I mean, this was very much behavior, codependent behavior, because we were merged. All of the needs fell into one family pot and there was no separation. And the reason why I'm describing this globally is we learn a dynamic in relationship. 
that we then repeat. So like I was saying, we repeat that in our peers, we repeat that in our romantic relationships, and then we become adults that do find ourselves in these similar dynamics with whether you're identifying whatever side of on the empath, on the narcissist or whatever it is, the dynamic you're bringing in, chances are it's very similar to that earliest dynamic in childhood. And again, there was it was adaptive for you at one point, and then chances are it doesn't serve you into a future. So knowing again, that our relationships are our core, we learn to express our needs. Again, we needed those relationships to meet our needs at a very early time. And then those become the dynamics that we carry on into adulthood. They feel familiar. They feel comfortable. They, they are our best attempt at getting those needs met. However, oftentimes they aren't fully serving us. So it's because, and I, myself, we all have trauma bonds. Doesn't even, it doesn't necessarily, it's not limited to just romantic relationships. Often we see the same dynamics that we're engaging in, in our friendships, in our professional relationships. So what's important, whatever dynamic you're participating in is to know that you are participating, you're playing a role. You might not have the boundaries that you need, right? There might be a familiarity in that dynamic that feels comfortable, though that might not always serve you. And trauma and our relationships really are the space where we do because we are repeating relationship dynamics that don't allow for our full self-expression. They do carry a lot of pain. Sometimes they carry a lot of consequences. We might find ourselves in relationship with individuals who are continuing to cause harm in our worlds. And this is also a great opportunity where we have very well-meaning loved ones around us yelling about the red flags, wondering why we keep going into the same relationship dynamic. Can't we see, can't we do differently and so for a lot of us, we carry a lot of shame. And that's why I like to talk really globally because chances are relationships aren't fully working for us into adulthood. And again, the reason is because that's the dynamic that we've become used to in childhood. Now, of course, we can gift ourselves with the opportunity to create a new one, which might mean new boundaries, new dynamics, learning how to express our needs in a new way and or finding a new partner. And I think one thing you touched on there, which I just, I think would be helpful for listeners is you're not bad or wrong for having trauma bonds or for listening to this and thinking, actually, I think I might have a lot of work to do. You're human is what I'll answer that. You're, you're human. Um, I am, I never like to put, and you'll never hear me put labels on good, bad, right, wrong. There's a reason, there's an underlying reason for the large majority of the, the way you're experiencing the world around you, the, all of the habits and patterns. Um, so there's nothing shameful about it because at one time, likely that was your safety. Those were adaptations that actually greatly served you. Of course, you might've accumulated now consequences from those adaptations. However, at one time, that was the, that was your best chance. That was your best chance at keeping yourself safe. That was your best chance at getting your need met to the best ability of those around you. So when we can pull back that shame and not label, and again, a lot of us, most of us have that critical voice. Our autopilot labels immediately, good, bad, right, wrong. I'm less than you're better than me. I'm unworthy. A becoming aware of that and then learning how to shift out of that much more compassionately. And sometimes it's just the awareness hearing, right? That oh, these behaviors came from somewhere. Even if you don't know exactly where they came from, knowing that they at one point kept you safe and are still attempting to keep you safe might be how you can extend that olive branch to yourself. 
Because it can be really seductive to think that everyone else in the world is sorted and knows exactly, and all the people you look at them and you think, well, they seem to be living their life, right? Their social life's fantastic. Their boyfriend's amazing. Their home's gorgeous. But that's that inner voice that actually is so, so hypercritical and is getting closer to your more authentic self, changing that inner voice from being a critic to being a supporter. Yes, a supporter. And before us, even we can get to support neutral. For a lot of us, it's just downshifting from criticism and even into just objective language. Just this is the thought I'm having without judging the thought I'm having, or this is the the pattern that I've brought from childhood without judging the pattern that I've brought from childhood. And we all have that tendency um, to compare, to judge. Oftentimes we're not judging ourselves favorably. We're judging ourselves less than. And so a lot of times it's that shift into much more neutral language um, before then we can become a compassionate, supportive, loving guide, which ultimately would be the goal. Um, But again, to go from one critical bridge into self-love really doesn't happen overnight. I'm glad you said that (laughs) because that is quite, that is quite the journey. That's like, it, you know. that is the journey. And again, that becomes the journey. I feel like all of our journeys back to that onion are of peeling back that onion, right? We're not finding our authentic self. We're rediscovering it. It never went anywhere. That deeper place of inner knowing of intuition, of guidance, of knowing who you are and how to express in the world is there. So even if you're living on a spaceship still, as I once was, and you feel so disconnected from that place, I assure you, it's a matter of unearthing. We are complete. We are whole. We know what is best for us. We can safely navigate the world around us. We, many of us just aren't practiced. So we have to pull back all the layers of conditioning, learn how to reconnect with that deeper space so that we can begin to then live in alignment from that place. And there's a lot of talk about being vulnerable. And I guess when you're peeling back that layer, I guess you could say that you might be taking off the armor that we put on ourselves to be able to navigate the world, although armor might be quite a strong way of describing it. But those peeling back those layers uh, does show the underbelly a little bit. You are vulnerable. Is vulnerability a crucial part of the puzzle too? You're vulnerable, you're raw, you're you. I mean, for a lot of us, that's the first time that you're maybe even allowing yourself to be like that in private let alone those of us who are then going out and being that way in the world. It's new. It's unfamiliar, right? Again, I stopped expressing these parts of myself at a time, possibly because I was shamed. It wasn't welcomed. So for a lot of us, there's great risk in vulnerably being who we are. So absolutely, that's part of the journey. And I still struggle many times because my autopilot, that safe disconnection allowed me to be safely away from my feelings. So the byproduct of that is I didn't really share my core authentic feelings outside of stress, which I love to share in my relationships. I didn't really share the deeper stuff with really anyone, not even those closest to me. So for me, I'm still on the journey of that vulnerability of going to partners and saying, this is how I feel in my heart when it's an emotion outside of stress. And I'll be the first to admit it's incredibly uncomfortable is it it brings up insecurity. It brings up fear. How will this be received by those around me? Because again, I'm not used to doing it. And, or you could be the person listening that had attempted it at one time and was shamed or was hurt. So of course you're not going to attempt it many more times. So absolutely there's a rawness and a vulnerability when we unearth that authentic part of ourself, as we begin to then express that. 
I asked um, some of the listeners who are in the Facebook group for the podcast about uh, about this conversation. And one of the things that came up actually quite a few times was people saying, I tell the people around me that I'm struggling or I need their help and they don't give it. What am I doing wrong? Is that a communication issue? Is that a vulnerability issue? Is that because I can definitely relate to that. I don't know if you've had that experience where you've said, I'm not doing well, please help. And it's as though it falls on deaf ears. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for some of us, I mean, one of the most difficult things to tolerate, let me back up and answer this in this way to get started. One of the most difficult things to tolerate for us as humans is the reality that we can't control the people around us. We might desperately want that person to be able to, or to choose to show up for us in that moment to support us per se. And for whatever reason they can't or won't, or don't choose to in that moment. And that's incredibly, incredibly difficult to understand. So that's, I think the first piece of this is, yeah, you can ask for support and you might not get that for a million different reasons most of which likely have nothing to do with you or your request at all. Reminding yourself that you're in a relationship with another human in a dynamic that chances are you've been engaging with for however long that relationship has lasted, right? How available is this other human to support anyone outside of themselves? For some of us as adults, the answer is not very. For a very long time, again, if I'm not caring for myself and my entirety and in, in my fullness and my wholeness, my physical, spiritual, and emotional needs, I can't really show up for someone else. And that didn't mean that I didn't love or care for that other person. Again, we can only be of service. We can only support someone else to the extent that we're full, we're whole, and we're supporting ourselves. So in those moments, as heartful as it can be, um, I remind myself of the humanity on the other side of the request. Um, again, that sometimes a person might not be showing up for me, not so, not out, not because they don't want to, not because they don't care. They might be locked in their own, own autopilot, not even conscious to the actual request that I've you know communicated to them. I can depersonalize now. Of course, if time and time again you go to a relationship and this person isn't able right to meet your need in some way. The gift you can do for yourself in that moment is to empower yourself with the choice. Next time now this happens, you can maybe make a choice to not go to that person. If they continue to be unavailable to you in these moments, for whatever reason, that again, might be outside of you at all, or their desire to support you at all in that moment, you might then gift yourself with the opportunity to make the choice to go to the person in your life who can, or to find and create a relationship with someone who you know can. Um, it's kind of useful sometimes, isn't it? To just think it's not about you. That's such a gift. And, and again, this even applies back in time, right? Oftentimes the people and the hurt that we're carrying happened from our most immediate environments, the people that were quote unquote, right? Supposed to love us the most, right? And it's not that they don't, we have to understand how limited we all are as humans by our past conditioning. And now to be clear at a time in childhood, we couldn't use this level of maturity. I couldn't understand that when dad came home upset, raging and yelling that, you know, dad might've had something at work that happened as a young child before age seven, we can only understand the world through a very egocentric or a me based filter. It becomes something bad happened to me because I am bad or unworthy. And this for many of us is that first seed that begins that tree of that unworthiness belief that we carry into adulthood. Now, to be clear, in childhood, 
we had, we didn't have the maturity in our brains, literally developmental maturity to see all of the other factors, to understand relationships in a mature way, to understand that, you know what, many things happen to our parents that are humans outside of our awareness that could affect what happened. And me having something bad happen to me might have no reflection on me at all. However, in adulthood, for some of us, that can be the most valuable tool on our journey is to pull back. And again, sometimes it begins with reminding ourselves how some of the things I've done aren't a reflection of me at all. Then again, we can extend that to someone else. I call it depersonalizing. And the more we can view the world through a less personal filter, even if right now it feels like it's happening to you, that person cut you off because you know, you're not good enough and they know it that person might not even be seeing you because they're lost in their own autopilot, thinking about the argument that they had with their partner this morning. And it wasn't about you at all. And for some of us, that can be the greatest tool on the journey. What a journey. And I think what I appreciate so much about everything that I've seen from you is it can be very easily when, when you start thinking about psychology and breaking down your own patterns to get lost in the weeds, to get caught up in the jargon or to feel very, very confused. And you take people by the hand and very gently and very and at a speed that is suited to the individual, guide them through the information that is most useful. That for me is what your book did so brilliantly. And listeners, I'm sure you've heard in this conversation, we have covered so, so much and every single second of it has just been so valuable. Um, so thank you so much for everything that you put out and for, I know we've only literally touched the tip of a, a many iceberg on this conversation, but um, it's been so, so helpful and I really, really appreciate your time. Um, listeners, the links to the books. Now, what were the um, Healers Circle, the, the podcast and the virtual Self-Healer Circle is our global virtual online self-led community, really honoring what you were just saying. We're all in different stages of our journey. We all kind of proceed on our journey at different speeds and different directions. And the Self-Healer Circle really, really does allow that. Um, my new podcast, the Self-Healer Soundboard, where we talk about weekly topics, honestly and authentically and raw in self-healing, the Self-Healer Soundboard. So thank you, Emma. Hearing that this work is translatable, is understandable, is livable, really is everything for me because it's that bridge, right? How do I turn these concepts into action? How do I actually create change? How do I become unstuck? And hearing that this book has landed in that way for you, and I'm hoping all of your listeners really shows me that I'm doing, I'm doing my job. Oh, absolutely. And I have honestly not stopped talking about this book since I read it and I've gifted it to so many people already. And so it's just honestly such um, an honor to have you on the show. Listeners, the links to uh, Dr. Nicole LaPera and the book and everything will be in the show notes, but it's been so, so wonderful to speak to you. And so wonderful. Thank you, Emma and everyone else listening for your time and attention. I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. 
You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.